Hello everyone. It's been a while. From its conception, I wanted this show to be two things. For one, I wanted it to be brutally honest. And for two, I wanted it to be happy and uplifting. Something you put on and forget the troubles of the world. But life is not always like that. And if I want this show to be honest, it cannot always be happy. Which is why today's episode of Therapy Review contains references to suicide and self-harm, as well as language some may find offensive and outdated. If that's triggering to you, or if you're only here for the feel-good reviews, please feel free to skip this episode. I won't blame you. In addition to that, the people in the stories I'm about to tell you are not monsters. There are no villains in my mind, only people. Misled people who make mistakes and fail people I want to believe can be better. No one is perfect, especially me. Thank you, and please enjoy. So, I know that religion is not a universal experience. I know that most people who do believe are kind at heart and just trying to do their best. That being said, we all make mistakes and those mistakes can destroy others for life. An example, God's Not Dead is a terrible film, a terrible series, really. It follows a frankly boring college student who feels the need to defend the Almighty when a teacher teaches the theory of evolution. The film makes teachers out like some sort of supervillain. In fact, the teacher in question later demands that every student proclaim that God is dead. This is ridiculous already, but it does get worse, as the debate over whether God is dead becomes a massive issue. It quickly spirals into a teacher versus student debate over the existence of God. I'd like to say that this is some sort of thought-provoking film, that it shows the duality of faith and doubt, that it portrays both sides with dignity and respect. This, however, would be a lie. Because God's Not Dead is not a movie, it's a smear campaign. It's a Sunday morning sermon wearing the trappings of a movie, and that sermon is preached from the pulpit of rage and satanic panic. Rinse and repeat for four films. That's right, four. Four increasingly terrible movies. Four movies which preach to its audience that Christianity is under siege and needs defending. Not only does it need defending, but there must be no objection to the Christian way of thinking. It must reign supreme on every level. I'm not saying that all Christians believe that. In fact, I'm willing to bet that most of them don't. But that is a dangerous idea. I saw God's Not Dead 1, 2, and 3 in the theaters. The first two, which are more or less the same plot, I patiently sat through, hoping that everyone else around me would realize how terrible they were. The third, however, was a breaking point for me. I won't bother recapping the plot, because it's more or less the same thing as the first two. The biggest difference? This one is not on a classroom level, or a town level. It's on a state level. A statewide debacle resulting in protests and political debates. It's all very dramatic, and it plays like a plot inspired by your crazy conspiracy uncle's Facebook wall. 
I saw God's Not Dead 3 with my wife's church group. They were all very cheery as they left the theater, revitalized and cemented in their beliefs. They chatted about how God spoke to them during the film, and I'm so glad that they were moved. I just wish that I had felt the same way. But while they all talked about how great the movie was, how anointed it was, how they could feel the Spirit of God move in the theater, I had only one thought. I don't think that I can believe in this God anymore. It sounds silly to say that a bad movie from a low-budget studio killed off my seemingly steady religion, that the foundations of my religion were so flimsy that it could be shaken by bad acting and a poorly written script. That an entire life being raised in the church would be snuffed out in an instant. But as I write this, I know that isn't the case. Maybe it was my father genuinely believing Pokemon cards to be, quote, oriental demons, or my church friends calling a trans worker it. Maybe it was the genuine fear my grandmother had of metal music, or my sister not being allowed to come inside because she was reading Harry Potter. The list goes on. All of this sounds silly, that the Almighty would feel challenged by an 11-year-old wizard, or an electric mouse, or even Metallica. That my overall nerdy, G-rated interests would keep me from an eternity of peace and joy with my loved ones. But satanic panic did not destroy my religion. It didn't help. But I know that isn't where it started. Not really. I know it started in a church back office with a youth pastor and a poor, inexperienced teenager with some intense questions. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't have any close friends, and therapy was frowned upon in the church. Besides that, what sort of teenager goes to their parents? He'd pulled me aside because of a private prayer request. I felt that defeated the purpose of having a private prayer request. But regardless, I knew I needed help. And here he was. I thought maybe God had meant for this to happen. I didn't have a name for what I was going through. It wasn't a familiar feeling, or any feeling at all. I felt no joy, but no sadness. It wasn't a sorrow, but the lack thereof. I felt nothing at all. My chest felt heavy, and I struggled to get to sleep. When I did sleep, I could sleep an entire day, an entire week even. I couldn't find motivation to do anything, not fun things or boring things. I just felt blank. This wasn't just emotional, but physical. The lack of feeling had led me to seek it out, positive and negative. Positive feelings were hard to find, and they were fleeting. The highs were quick and left me lower than I'd been before. Negative feelings, however, those lasted and I knew where to get them. It started out simply, biting my nails or pulling my hair, then scratching my legs until my skin burned, and finally by cutting my wrists just above where my jacket sleeves covered. I was terrified of myself, terrified of how far I had spiraled and terrified of what I might do next. I asked my youth pastor what to do how I could feel better, how I could stop before it was too late. But 
The room fell silent. Looking back, I don't think either of us had been equipped to deal with that night. He should have called a professional right then and there. He should have sent me to a therapist or a doctor or someone who could have helped me then. But he didn't. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he took a deep breath and told me my lack of feeling was my fault. That the emptiness I felt was just a lack of closeness to Christ. And that all I needed to do to get better was to pray more and have more faith. That was a crushing idea to me. I had spent my whole life serving God, doing what I was told he wanted of me, and living my entire life for him. And now that apparently wasn't enough, I left that night with more questions than answers. I couldn't imagine living a life more dedicated to God than I already was. I grew up hearing stories of people slaughtered for their faith. Detailed stories of children killed in Christ's name. People happy to die if it meant the enemy knew they were Christian. Thus, I was prepared to die. I was prepared to give my life, to give anything for God. What more was I supposed to do? As time went on, I isolated myself. I became what I felt, which was alone. I began to wonder if there was something wrong with me, if I was irreconcilably broken. God didn't speak to me. He remained silent. I begged and begged for his voice. But nothing. Only silence. I started to wonder if maybe all the other Christians around me had something that I didn't. If maybe I was supposed to be this way. Always separate from the God that I had given up everything to be with. I wanted to get better, but I didn't know how. I started to wonder if I ever could. One night, about six months later, I had planned to end my life. My parents and I had gotten into a big fight. I don't remember what over, and it all seems so small now. I only know that I stormed off, more prepared to end things than I already was. I was so tired of fighting, fighting myself, fighting others, hurting myself and the people that I loved. I couldn't stop, and I couldn't ask for help. I didn't want them to think that I had strayed from the path that they set for me. I didn't want them to think that I had walked away from God. I didn't want them to be disappointed in me. At the same time, I felt as though God had walked away from me. About six blocks from my house, I stopped at a gas station and just sat there. I knew I didn't want to die, but I didn't see a choice. It was the middle of the night, and I knew she was asleep, but I called my sister. I told her that I had run off, and even though it was late, and even though she was in bed, she drove up to get me. She brought me back home, took me into the back room of our house, and cleaned off where I'd hurt myself. She asked me why, 
and what was really wrong. I wish I had told her, but I was too scared to tell her the truth. I just don't fit in, I lied. I wish I had known back then how true that lie really was. It would have made me feel a lot better. I know that she asked to take me with her that night, to help me and to give me a break from my life. I don't know why, but my parents said no. I don't know if this story would have had a different ending if they'd agreed, but I'd like to think it would. After that, I moved on. I made every effort I could to be normal. I made some good Christian friends, and I helped with their ministry. I held my faith as close as I possibly could. I'd like to think that I grew a lot as a person in that time. That for a little bit, I forgot what was wrong with me. That things were normal. Unfortunately, life rarely provides such comfort. And God remained silent. Maybe a year after that, I was on my way to pick up a friend. Neither of us could drive, so I had to walk. I stepped out of the door and got about a block away before I received a call. Can you come back home for a minute? The person asked. Sure, I thought. This was right after my dad died, so a lot of people were coming out of the woodwork to give their condolences. I saw nothing wrong. I wish I had of. When I opened the door, all I saw was a smattering of extended family. They weren't talking or smiling like they usually were, just staring at me, a hint of pity behind their eyes, like I had done something wrong, like I was something wrong. What's going on? I asked. Just take a seat. You're not in trouble, they said. It sure felt like I was in trouble, I thought. It felt like I was trouble. If I could go back, I would have just turned around and left. But foolishly, I sat down. One of them put their hand on my shoulder and pressed down hard, as if to hold me in place. My heart began pounding. I knew what it was. I could feel a panic attack stirring under the surface, as if my body itself was about to betray me. So, they began. Someone told us you're gay. Okay, I said flatly. So? So what? I asked. Are you a faggot? A little side note, I apologize for using that word. I wouldn't usually, but that's what they said, and it replays in my mind a lot. I began to stammer. It wasn't their business what I was. It didn't matter if I was or wasn't. I was a 16-year-old kid being held down and questioned about their sexuality in a room full of people he thought he could trust. I felt betrayed and heartbroken. How could they do this? I looked at their faces. I scanned the room for anyone who looked even nearly afraid as I was. But there was no one. They all stared at me expectantly, as if I was broken and needed to be fixed. Despite having written it out, I'm going to skip the rest of that story. For one, because it's my business what I am. 
and for two, because I feel like these people don't deserve any more thought. These people, the ones I looked up to, those I believed to be the best Christians I knew, violated every form of trust I can think of. They never apologized, and they still believe they're right. I forgave them a long time ago, but I still can't forget. I know that others experience the same type of treatment from people who proclaim themselves as Christian. Some experience far worse. And I am so sorry for that. Truly, this type of evil has no place in the church. But it has crept in. And it's crept in in the form of politics. I try not to be a majorly political person. But regrettably, politics has become more prevalent in the church than Christ has. I'll keep this part as brief as possible. I could write books and books about how destructive the political sphere is in the church. We'd be here all day if I recited every reason, so I won't do that. But I will give you two instances. The first, from the pulpit. The 2016 election was ramping up, and both candidates were just terrible. The church I was attending had a guest speaker. For about an hour, he shouted about the end of the world, about the destruction of the evil liberals and homosexuals. He preached these things with conviction, like he prayed on their downfall. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't think that matters. His sermon ended with a simple conclusion, and I remember it vividly, thus I'll recite it here. The Lord is returning this year, he said with confidence. He has granted me a vision of the near future, and it all depends on the election. If one wins, that'll be it, we'll be gone in the blink of an eye. If the other wins, we might get to stay a little longer, but mark my words, this year. That was in 2016. Thus, it was an obvious and blatant lie from a preacher that I was supposed to trust. I think back to that moment often, the look in his eyes as if he needed what he said to be true. I used to think of him with a sort of righteous anger and some type of primal fear. But now, all I feel for him is pity. All I feel for any of those people is pity. The next instance is equally ridiculous, but something I fear is far more commonplace. It was Thanksgiving dinner, or Christmas, or one of those holidays that you see relatives you don't usually see. Somehow, the discussion had found a forbidden topic. The dreaded political conversation. They went back and forth about China and North Korea and liberals, and the quote, homosexual agenda. People who say arguing with your family at dinner is the worst have never sat at a table full of people quoting conspiracy articles off the internet like their scripture. Back then, I felt that maybe it was scripture. After all, they taught it at church, and every Christian I knew believed the same things. They all believed Christians to be this courageous rallying force to defend God. Much like in God's Not Dead, 
and that's when it hit me. I don't remember who said it. I guess it doesn't really matter, because I've heard it repeated so many times. From the midst of their complaining, I heard, You can't be a Democrat and a Christian. Those words changed things for me. They put my whole life into perspective. I have seen the church do terrible things. I've seen them shame my gay friends and family into hiding. I've seen them deny the sick and the homeless. I've seen them tear people down. I've been torn down by them. I refuse to believe that this is the love Christ spoke of. And I will not accept the idea that some people are undeserving of that love. So if that's really the God that they served, maybe I didn't want to anymore. Whenever I tell Christians this, they get angry or righteous. They always say the exact same thing. Well, people hurt you, not God. And you're right. People who claim to be representatives of Christ hurt me. And so many others. People who claim to be Christ's children hurt others. And when you see a child act out, when you see children bullying others or tormenting someone else on the playground, do you blame that child? Or do you look to the parents? So that's it then. The movie didn't convince me that God doesn't exist. It just slammed the coffin on a faith that was broken and falling apart already. Christians had disproved their own faith by living in direct opposition to what it teaches. That would be the end. But I promised you a happy ending. And my friends, the story does not end there. From 2017 onward, I lived my life faith-free. Back then, I would have told you I was happier than I'd ever been. Things started to feel like fun again. Heck, I started to feel at all again. A godless life meant no prayer. It meant there was silence on both sides. And that was okay. I still went to church with my then-girlfriend and now-wife. I still participated in ministry, helping lead others to a religion that I no longer believed in. And it all felt okay. At least, it was until 2021. Morgan and I had been married about a year, and the world had been plunged into a state of panic and fear by a global pandemic. And Christians had lost all of my respect by relying only on conspiracies and the words of a millionaire who shall not be named, rather than science or the scriptures that they claimed to believe. It was a bad time for everyone. And for the first time in a long time, I didn't know if things were going to be okay. That year, my wife bought me a book for my birthday. It was by an author I've always been a big fan of, one who actually inspired this podcast. His name is John Green, and the book was called The Anthropocene Review, which is a fancy way of saying that he's writing reviews of common human experiences like watching CNN or drinking Dr. Pepper. John is a phenomenal writer and humanitarian. Overall, he's a real swell fella, Anyone who knows me knows that I love his work. What they may not know, however, is that, maybe even by accident, 
he led me back to God. In that book, John writes a review of whispering. He tells the story of the only time he's ever heard God's voice, about seeing a massive wooden cross on a road trip, and hearing a small voice whisper to him, You'll be okay. I don't know why. I don't know why. But as I read, I felt a twinge in my chest. I didn't know that John was Christian, and I wouldn't have cared normally, had it not been for those words. You'll be okay. What hadn't felt real in years suddenly did. I bookmarked that page and redownloaded the Bible app. Maybe I needed to take the long way around. Maybe Christ was just misrepresented for me. But after all that time, something finally clicked. Faith doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't need to be courageous or challenge everyone around it. It doesn't need to scream from the rooftops or tear anyone else down. Christ doesn't need to be the loudest voice in the room. Faith can be quiet. It can be a whisper. And God can be silent and still be there. The church has spent so much time becoming warriors when they should have been a shelter. They spent so much time being loud when what the world needed was a whisper. What I needed was a whisper that told me it was going to be okay. I've been told that I'm not a Christian, that the love that I care about so much is too soft for the modern world, and that Christianity has to toughen up. And if that's the case, then no, I'm not a Christian. But I'll tell you this. Since then, I have received many whispers, and I feel God in the wind and the trees. I hear his voice in the chirping of the birds and the buzzing of the bees, and I feel his love every single day from every direction, but never from the church, at least not most of the church. I know now that I am not broken. There is nothing wrong with me. I'm just human, the way God made me. The church is still broken. They represent a God that would be disgusted by their actions towards their families, their children, and their communities. Whether you've been hurt by the church or not, God loves you. Please don't let their screaming hurt you. Because he loves you in a whisper. If you or anyone you know is struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, please contact a professional or dial 988. There is help out there. And if you have questions about faith or God, don't go to a preacher. Open the Bible and find out for yourself who God is. Thank you all for listening.